Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. And before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick pitch for our Writing for Impact and Influence online professional development course, which I'll be teaching starting on the 6th of June. The basic idea behind the course is that modern technology has given us innumerable outlets for written content, whether those are press releases, social media campaigns, book reviews, memoranda, and so on. And scientists who are able to fill those outlets with good writing will have the biggest positive impact on policy, public opinion, and on their own careers. So please do sign up. We did this last year, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, the sessions are conducted live with a lot of participation, but you can also listen in after the fact because we will record them. Uh, the link for it is io.aibs.org forward slash writing, uh, but you can also find that in the show notes. Moving on to today's show, I'm joined by Dr. Jiangxiao Chu, who is an assistant professor of landscape ecology with the University of Florida, where he studies ecosystem service sustainability in the face of a changing climate. He joined me to talk about evidence-based causal chains linking human health, development, and conservation. I'll let him describe that in more detail, but the name of the game here is understanding the human role in ecosystems and applying that knowledge across numerous fields and in policy and decision-making. So let's get straight to it. Dr. Chu, thank you very much for joining me today. Also, thank you for inviting me to this session. Before we get uh, too far into the article and um, that content itself, I was hoping you could tell us just a little bit about the changing face of conservation science uh, from a philosophical point of view. You know, I think we have a historical view in which conservation was um, seen as sort of the competing interests of humans against nature, and they were seen as separate. Could you tell us a little bit about that and sort of how that's changed over the years? Uh, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of over the past uh, few decades, there has been a paradigm shift in the conservation biology. So as people know, kind of uh, some of the history of the conservation biology, that's kind of started with the, the protecting of uh, the endangered species. Yeah. So it kind of uh, kind of historical like this seems to be this conflict between between a species conservation, also some of the human development. And uh, yeah, which these two objectives seems to be uh, kind of conflicting with each other and also uh, as time goes and uh, and the people starting to realize that uh, that uh, uh, so just uh, this uh, this kind of uh, these two uh, kind of divergent perspective are, are not actually sufficient to achieve a lot of conservation goals so that has been uh, uh, the evolving theme towards kind of protecting up front kind of or the shift from protecting the nature for itself to the nature despite people. Uh, so especially with the, the concept of ecosystem services and sustainability, and, and uh, people starting to realize that, uh, that uh, these two objectives doesn't to be, to be exclusive of each other. It's more like uh, ideally we can achieve the, the, the objectives of conserving species, but also can achieve some of the, the other sustainable development goals for people. Okay, so we're kind of moving away from a system in which we you know, are trying to preserve something that's not been affected by humans, um, at least as we perceive, and moving more to a system in which you know, humans and nature are viewed as part of an interlinked system. Yes, so that's especially true. Like in, in the age that we are in, yeah, which is so called the Anthropocene, which is kind of basically every ecosystems, or most of the ecosystems are dominated by human and also are shaped by human. So there's really uh, kind of it, it's almost impossible in some cases to actually uh, to tease apart the human influences. So human is actually a part of the equation 
of kind of conserving nature and also for achieving sustainability. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. You know, it would be sort of foolish to look at, you know, even the most pristine ecosystem um, as unaffected as, by humanity as you could find would still be heavily affected because of things like, you know, the change in climate. Yeah. So that philosophical change has been taking place over time. And I'm sure it has some implications for how we might manage ecosystems, does it? I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So kind of in the past, maybe some of the kind of ecosystem management is kind of the focus is the, the species of of interest for conservation or for the intrinsic values. But uh, but uh, kind of kind of uh, the shift from there to the more like the ecosystem kind of manage, management from more holistic perspective, like maintain the functioning of ecosystems and also the, the services or the goods and services provided by ecosystems. Yeah. So, also, like there's also kind of for the biodiversity of species and also ecosystem function and service. These two things, even within the same ecosystem or landscape, they're not a or it's hard to be separated because some of the services are actually di directly derived from biodiversity, or some of the ecosystem service ecosystem function or services are actually underpinned by by the species. Yeah, so kind of uh, uh, kind of this kind of shift is actually try to or, or to to some extent it can be more effectively to achieve like the the management objectives for both uh, species as well as for ecosystems so this could be a situation in which you know you were expecting say an ecosystem service um, in the form of agricultural output uh, but that ecosystem service would then be also affected it you know by um, the local biodiversity and the health of the ecosystem in which the farm you know existed and that sort of thing as well so you know you you it's inescapable that these two things are these many things are connected uh, yes yeah i yeah so i think uh, kind of the example you draw like for the agricultural landscape uh, so that's a, a really nice case like a uh, uh, People manage the land for producing food, but also uh, the the service is being provided by by species such as pollination or pest control. Like those are basically the 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 benefits that are directly from the different species or or the or the collection of uh, uh, the diversity of different species. So they can actually they can produce synergies or pro produce the benefits that can enhance the the food production. And you can only achieve those things through management. If you're paying attention to everything at the same time, uh, which is which is kind of what your article gets into, and you're you're describing a methodology for looking at all of those different factors at once, or at least you know in considering them uh, at least iteratively as you're making management decisions and policy decisions. So, could you describe just you know kind of give us a, a basic idea of what is this research framework like? What you know what is an evidence-based causal chain, and how is it used? Yeah, yeah. So this kind of uh, like the causal chain or the evidence cause, uh, the evidence based causal chain is not something new. It's been like in the in the field for a long for a long time. So yeah, actually being used in different areas uh, for for many years. And uh, uh, kind of the reason why we started doing this work is that uh, that we realized that uh, uh, a lot of the kind of the ecosystem management or a lot of the the, the kind of the contemporary contemporary environmental or social environmental problems we are facing right now are basically intertwined across different fields or different uh, sectorial boundaries. Like, uh, for example, like conservation, uh, economic development, and public health. Like those, some of the problems we are facing right now are basically kind of cutting across the, these different fields. And a kind of cause, kind of the nice thing about the causal chain is really simple. It's basically a description of of the 
the logical consequences from the action of uh, management or from the intervention through this uh, kind of social ecological gradient. So basically, you can imagine that, uh, like the management or the interventions, they can lead to to the to the to the social changes, but also they can lead lead to the ecological changes, which then cascade to the social systems. And uh, and the, the the kind of the the kind of unique uh, contribution of this paper, we are uh, uh, of kind of the, the proposed use of the causal chains, we basically try to to find some of the common grounds uh, that are uh, of the causal chain being used in different uh, different fields. So these common grounds originated from the theories underlying the causal chain, which is the, the logical consequences of the action. And then uh, uh, what we are trying to to uh, to set up this uh, this framework of the approach is that they basically can bring together or they they formulate the foundation that I can bring together the knowledge from different areas. Um, so kind of by using this kind of basically trying to to construct this this uh, uh, causal pathways, then we can from there we can kind of we can understand what are the kind of direct or the indirect consequences of particular management. Okay, and so you know, I'm I'm kind of, I'm wondering, you know, what are some of those different sectors that haven't historically, at all times necessarily, uh, interacted and shared information? What, you know, kind of, who who are the groups at play here? Yeah, so yeah, for example, like for the for yeah for, for the environmental sector, like kind of people use the result chain, which is a very common kind of methodology for for the conservation planning. And for the public health, for example, they, they use direct cyclic graphs. So that's kind of a, a approach that you can testing the clinical outcomes of a, a procedure or treatment by accounting of other confounding factors. So kind of in, in these different views, I Another example is that in the development or economics, like the input-output model, basically kind of kind of what you can get from what kind of input or, or the resources that that has been uh, has been put in this production chain. So kind of they are not being they were not being called like causal chains in different sectors. They were called by different names. But in kind of if you go to the if you kind of go to the bottom kind of to look at the basics of these different approach, like it, it's essentially like a, the the causal chains or the theory of change that's underlying these different, uh, yes. Yeah, so kind of the way they, they have been used in different areas. So it's a situation in which you've got you know this concept that's sort of similar across different um, you know sectoral boundaries, but everyone's using a slightly different language to describe the same thing. Uh, yes, totally. Yeah. And then I guess the idea here is that, you know, by introducing this common language of the evidence-based causal chains, you can get these groups to talk to each other, uh, you know, more effectively, you know, as they're coming up with management decisions or reporting on findings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I did not mention, or, or it's actually, it's still some of the ongoing work is the the first part, which is, is the evidence-based component. So uh, a lot of the kind of some of the, the ways like the causal chain have been used in the past is basically people construct this hypothetical uh, or or the causal pathway that are based on the exponent knowledge. So they are not a, a systematically uh, verified by by synthesizing the evidence from different areas. So based on this kind of causal uh, pathway or the causal chain, then we can starting to 
find out what kind of evidence uh, that can support each causal pathway. So in this way, we can actually bring together like the the, the kind of the knowledge or some of the ex- the evidence from different areas together into the same coherent framework. Okay, and now I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit, and I'm hoping that we can maybe walk through an example, and I'll, I'll let you pick it. But you know, kind of what's an area, what's a field, what's a uh, a management question that might be addressed through this framework, and you know, kind of let's let's talk our way through. Um, the way that an evidence-based causal chain approach might be applied to it. Um, so I'll, I'll let you choose, and then let's talk through it. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I would just to go with the example like we use actually. So, so in this paper, it's actually kind of the example we've gone through several iterations. So it's basically kind of the the forest kind of the management situation in the in the in the forest is how people manage like wildfires, and uh, in. Uh, in places where the uh, there's a uh, kind of there's a dominant fire regime, and uh, and the mechanical thinning has been used as a way to basically reduce the fuel uh, structure or the, or the fuel load in the in the forest ecosystems. So, kind of this mechanical thinning they can affect the different aspects like ecologically but also socially. So for like one example of the of the social direct social consequences that that this kind of forest management they can basically lead to or, or they can create create a lot of forest management jobs. Uh, so that's so that's fairly straightforward. But for a lot of the ecological changes, like the the, the kind of this uh, this mechanical thinning in the forest, they can reduce the frequency of the of the fire, or or they can reduce the frequency of the canopy fire, which uh, if the fire happened, that would can lead to uh, some of the health problems, like uh, the like uh, the, the the air pollution or some of the kind of the the, the respiratory disease. Or, uh, so that's a so that's a direct consequence of the of the of the burning of the forest, and also kind of the the thinning component or the thinning as a management tool. They can they can. Uh, they can affect the forest canopy or the appearance of the forest, which can lead it, which can can then affect the some of the uh, the recreational value or the aesthetics kind of benefits of the forest ecosystems, which can be related with some of the incomes of the of the jobs uh, of the different beneficiary beneficiary who actually who enjoy the benefits from the forest. So kind of so that's kind of like one example of kind of where this ecological change they can have the social consequences. The other, uh, some of the other kind of uh, kind of ecosystem functions related with uh, management, like for example, like carbon or the or the fresh water or soil erosion, like those can also those those are also kind of cases where the the management can change these different functions, which then will affect the the uh, will will cascade to the to the benefits to different beneficiary beneficiary groups. Okay, so you know, just just to sort of to recap, um, mechanical thinning in this case would be you know you're hiring people to go in and cut down some percentage of the trees um, as a means of of stopping wildfire. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah to yeah to 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 reduce the density of the yeah of the trees. And so, if you actually wanted to decide whether this was a good idea. Um, you know, you need to look at everything. You've got to look at the economics of uh, the fact that you're able to hire people and you know produce some local income, um, you know, for foresters who are who are cutting down the trees. But at the same time, you also need to look at the fact that uh, this could have an effect on the recreational value of the wilderness, um, and it would also have an effect on the health outcomes of the people who live, you know, downwind. 
and are going to be exposed to potentially less fire. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, so it's all of these things kind of coming together. Yeah, yeah, kind of the different, uh, different, uh, yeah, diff- yeah, kind of different components. Kind of they they can be affected by this single management actions. But uh, if you just look at it from a single, from just a, a kind of one section of the perspective, like some of the pieces, like they might be missed. Like uh, for example, like uh, uh, people may focus, or, or some of the the. Uh, or, or some of the conservation of the species might be the focus for this management, or some, or, or some of the other uh, the interested groups might be more interested in the kind of what's the health consequences. Okay, so previously they, you know, in forestry they largely have been just for our example they have been looking at um, you know multiple outcomes, but this is a, a means by which we might you know for instance be able to integrate a, a more holistic approach that you know brings in things like public health in ways that perhaps haven't been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm wondering now about you know, sort of where this idea for this approach came from. Um, it was born out of a conference in 2016. Yeah, so kind of. Uh, so this was a project funded uh, by the the Lewis uh, Foundation uh, to the Nature Conservancy. So the the Nature Conservancy they realize a lot of the conservation problems are not actually kind of conservation problem per se. It's more like a, 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 the integrated. Uh, or intertwine the problems across different areas. So that's kind of some of the idea of how we can enhance the outcomes of conservation, or actually enhance the effective effectiveness of for for conservation practices. Uh, so uh, with that support, we organized uh, several workshops. Uh, so like it's, it's mostly based on two two workshops, and that uh, bring together people from different areas, like including the from the research institutions, from the non-government organizations, federal agencies, and also uh, 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 some of the uh, kind of people with different uh, uh, expertise, like like the the system-based expertise. So try to see how we can actually propose uh, or we, we can actually find a, a research framework that I can eff- effectively bring together like the, the different areas or, or try to cross this boundary then we can kind of we can make or we can uh, uh, potentially like, promote a joint actions to uh, that I can more effectively address some of the issues uh, centered around uh, the like the conservation development as well as the health and also uh, um, part of the other uh, line of activity that has been uh, going on, uh, together with this, this a few kind of workshops is the is this uh, initiatives by uh, by the Nature Conservancy is called a bridge. So it's it's essentially uh, trying to to uh, enrich or or to uh, to actually um, uh, to see how this kind of framework can be. Actually used or can be can be can be uh, uh, taken by people from from different uh, sectors. But uh, for that project, they basically I think they had uh, several hundred people or expertise worldwide coming together to formulate a, a, a rather large uh, discussion or workshop. And they I think they had a publication coming out last year. And that's the the the, the way that you you can act to see how this might be be actually used in the kind of situation with people coming from different sectors. So that's fascinating. So it's, in, in a sense, the Nature Conservancy organizing, um, you know, workshops and opportunities for people to get together and generate publications, best practices for those who are doing the actual management. That's particularly interesting to me. Um, 
because I, I often find that, you know, we'll talk about things and I'm, I'm kind of wondering um, how that, you know, gets implemented, uh, you know, in the real world and how that information is filtered up or through or to uh, those who are making policy and management decisions. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things kind of we uh, we, uh, we made it pretty clear in, in the paper is that, uh, that uh, kind of in order to make it a, make this kind of research framework feasible or workable in a real kind of setting, setting is not is is never going to be a top down process so it's so kind of to make it kind of more effectively it, it, it's a, it's it's a inherently a, a code development process with different stakeholder groups or or people coming from from people coming from totally different background so uh, like for example kind of in in the uh, so within the paper, we uh, we outline a different uh, different uh, stages or kind of a roadmap. You can create the the evidence based causal trains. Uh, yeah, I think at several uh, critical points along this roadmap, kind of we specifically highlighted where where this uh, with kind of this open conversation or the, or the discussion with with different kind of stakeholders are very critical. Uh, for example, like when when or or how this shared vision can be established, uh, and also what kind of uh, like the the different uh, the uh, the objectives or the community wants to achieve. So kind of that has to be a very strong kind of stakeholder engagement or participation, as well as kind of the the, the whole process of actually developing the uh, the causal chains. Like uh, for example, like kind of the, the workshop that that we did as part of this work is actually sort of a, a medium or the small small scope. In terms of how to develop this causal change, is basically having people uh, spanning across different areas of expertise, but also people belonging to different stakeholder groups. Yeah, so that's kind of the the process that that we are envisioning. It's kind of co-produce knowledge with different stakeholder groups. And that makes sense that you'd have to take that sort of horizontally based approach rather than a vertical one, because if you were purely going top down, you wouldn't incorporate all of the disparate groups that are you know necessary parts of this sort of framework. Yeah, 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 or even the sub, kind of the sub, subsequent kind of impl, uh, the the implementation or the evaluation. Like, the, yeah, if that's a vertical kind of strategy, like there would be no kind of support or buy-in from the different uh, different uh, communities or stakeholder groups. Now, and and what sort of after-action monitoring are you envisioning? Uh, because you know, I, I would imagine that if you carry out an action. Um, that you expect to then have multiple effects on multiple yeah. systems. You then have to evaluate it and figure out, you know, is it working as you expected and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So kind of uh, in trying to construct this this evidence-based causal train, there will be two things that can be part of the monitoring. So like some of the causal links might be supported based on the evidence from the literature from the previous studies or from the, the expert knowledge. So for those kind of like a sort of more uh, kind of the causal causal pathways where people have more confidence like the, this kind of monitoring can be actually be a way to to verify whether this this is true in this this uh, management setting so uh, so that's kind of one 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 case the other case is, is that a, uh, a lot of times when 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 uh, trying to build this kind of causal trains there might be actually some of the linkages uh, from the from the the management actions to the to the outcomes might be very interesting, but there's no or very little information on what what's the directions of 
of the, the outcome or what's the magnitude of change and how much that can be confounded by other factors. So for this kind of situation, the kind of monitoring will be a more way to actually to to figure out what's the actual consequences from uh, or, or or what's the what's the nature of the causal pathways. That's fascinating. So. I'm wondering, and I think we've talked a little bit about this already, uh, but it's a question I always ask, so I'll ask it here. What's next for this research and what's next for this approach? It seems like it's you know being moved to larger and larger uh, get-togethers, workshops, and um, being examined in more detail. Is there a plan to roll it out? Will this be used on you know Nature Conservancy-administered lands? Yeah. So uh, something that uh, I, I can talk, uh, yeah, which is something I'm, uh, I'm aware of, is that... Uh, there's another that's currently in, in review right now. In, uh, so that's the one that's kind of more focused on the evidence component. So in this paper, kind of like in this bioscience paper, like we talk mostly on the research framework, kind of the uh, more focused on on the on the causal chain component. But the evidence is some is some somewhat uh, 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 somewhat uh, very critical, but uh, but uh, has not been. Uh, fully addressed in in this kind of paper so there's another uh, sort of sister or related paper which is which originated from a different workshop and so that's solely focused on on the evidence like to ask a question like what constitute the evidence what kind of evidence can be used and also how we can uh, how how to address issues like the uncertainty so the consistency or the applicability of different evidence and also how we can consolidate it Kind of the evidence with different nature, like from ranging from qualitative from quantitative, because a lot of the social studies, like they have very qualitative the evidence, but being qualitative evidence is not really uh, as a lot of kind of natural scientists kind of may may have different perspectives on kind of the strengths of evidence. So that's another very very important component, which is actually how we can treat or we can weight the evidence coming from totally different. Uh, background or, or actually different areas yes yeah, so 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 that will 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 provide a, a lot of information is actually kind of towards more the impl- implementation side so kind of how we can uh, produce something that's more robust supported by the existing knowledge but some something that I can just from talking and personal conversations is that because the, the nature conservancy they are doing a lot of the actual on the ground management uh, or the conservation uh, Practices, so this might be a a framework that that can be used in in the real setting by, for example, like managing the rangeland or, or managing some of, of of the forest, which is part of the the uh, the area that uh, the TNC they are managing right now. That's great, and we'll certainly look forward to that article coming out. Uh, Dr. Chu, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you very very much for having me. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.